Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's June 4th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jim Swift and Andrew Egger of the Weekly Standard. All right, uh, gentlemen, I want to talk about uh, the president's uh, claims of sweeping pardon powers, um, Rudy Giuliani's comments yesterday, Bill Clinton's meltdown on the Today Show. Uh, But let's start with uh, the breaking news over the last couple of minutes. We find out that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the baker who wouldn't make the wedding cake for a gay couple. Now, the vote was seven to two, but it's being described as a narrow ruling. Could you try to put this in some context about uh, why this is considered a narrow ruling? Sure. And uh, first, I'll I'll clarify when you said the baker, I was going to chime in and say which one, uh, because there there are a lot of them. Uh, This was the Masterpiece Cake Shop Limited uh, decision, and it came down uh, and it was it was it was it was pretty it wasn't one of five, five four decision it was a seven two decision and there were you know uh, people um i forget the legal term right now they were uh, agreeing and disagreeing in part uh in the in their various sort of supplementary rulings um but you know you're seeing a lot of folks on the right who are who should be celebrating this are, are taking issue with uh, mainstream media accounts saying it was a narrow ruling and what is a narrow ruling and it's it it seems to me there's a little confusion that seven to two is not narrow, but right. the scope of the the ruling itself and, and the the precedent that the the ruling is set uh, does in fact appear to be pretty narrow. And right. this is this is a Justice Kennedy ruling who who always tries to go for the the narrow ruling, and the, this leaves a lot of questions unanswered. But it did say that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had not adequately taken into account the religious beliefs of this baker whose name was Jack is Jack Phil. Yeah, I think I think um, that that um, you know Jim's absolutely right that this is not it is far from sort of the last uh, battlefield on which this you know particular issue even the the narrow issue of you know bakers versus uh, gay fiancés um, we're going to see more of this uh, from from more legal challenges in in more states more jurisdictions um, at, at the same time you know it was it was at the very least encouraging to see uh, that the Supreme Court has any kind of appetite at all for. Um, you know, for for upholding the religious rights, uh, compelling interest uh, in in opposition to the other uh, right that the court has found for for gay couples to get married, because you know, in, in a lot of these situations, at, at in the lower courts, we we've seen um, you know just just sort of a universal uh, opposition to to the idea that religious uh, freedom plays really any role here at all. And it is true that um, that 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 Justice Kennedy's ruling. Um, marshaled a lot of uh you know specific circumstances it wasn't just you know if you if you have uh if you think that gay marriage is wrong on religious grounds you don't have to you know service a a, a gay couple's wedding um it was it, it brought in facts about um you know the the idea of artistic expression as a as as protected first amendment speech that if you're designing a cake you know that's that's a different kind of action than just refusing to sell you know a, a cake off your shelf um and so you know clearly there's a lot more issues that are going to need to be teased out here but I think for for conservatives a lot of the um, the happiness and the even jubilation that we've seen some of uh, surrounding this ruling uh, really just speaks to how uh, you know jaded and beaten down people have started to feel about this sort of issue when, when they see the state come down on bakers like this again and again you can certainly imagine what the reaction would have been had the court gone the other way on all of this, because, you know, I, I, I do think that the issue of religious liberty and respect for religious freedoms in this particular case was was a much bigger issue in 2016. And, and I, I frankly haven't heard 
the kind of sensitivity to this question, um, the, the the question of moving from tolerance to uh, you you will be made uh, to yeah. uh, you know to be complicit in all of this. Now, of course, the story here is that. You know, a couple comes in um, to see this baker. The 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 meeting at, at, at you know <laughs> that we're ruling about. The meeting actually was apparently about twenty seconds long. Uh, Philip said our conversation was about twenty seconds long. Sorry, guys, I don't make cup. Uh, I don't make cakes for same sex weddings. Couple then decides to take this up. They learn that Colorado's public accommodation law specifically prohibited discrimination based on sexual orientation. They filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. The commission ruled against the baker, Phillips, and the appeals court upheld the decision. So, Jim, do you have some of the language in this uh, this case when we talk about uh, what what Justice Kennedy did here? Sure. Uh, the he he basically you know walked a very 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 narrow line here. Yeah, you gotta you gotta read this for yourself. I mean, I wouldn't rely mm-hmm. on Jim Swift as your your sole source of uh, the ability to read uh, decisions. But <laughs> uh, the, the two paragraphs I want to highlight. One is this is one of the conclusions from from Kennedy. It is proper to hold that whatever the outcome of some future controversy involving facts similar to these, the commission and this is the Colorado Human Rights Commission, uh, their actions violated the free exercise clause and its order must be set aside. So that's talking about future controversies, right? Uh, But jump back two paragraphs, and Kennedy says this, the same difficulties arise in determining whether a baker has a valid free exercise claim. A baker's refusal to attend the wedding to ensure that the cake is cut the right way, or a refusal to put certain religious words on uh, or decoration on the cake, or even a refusal to sell a cake that has been baked for the public generally but includes certain religious words or symbols on it, are just three examples of possibilities that seem all but endless. And that's kind of where I see all of this. I mean, this is not uh, an Obergfell decision on baking cakes. This is, in my, uh, not really legal legal opinion, but my, my personal uh, opinion is probably the first of what are going to be many other cases that work through the court. Now, lower courts, uh, if they see situations with bakers and other things, can point to this. And if they find that the circumstances are similar, use this as a, a, a way to end those. But as Kennedy highlighted, um, you know, what if uh, you sold the cake, but it had no religious things and it just said congrats Mr. X and Mr. Y or whatever but then they wanted you to come to the wedding and cut the cake uh, and make sure that it was served um, would that be uh, you know uh, it a lot of this boils down to rifra versus public accommodation I mean and as you pointed out two years ago uh, Mike Penn or you know maybe three, even three years ago rifra was tantamount to fascism um, <laughs> well that's what I was going to get to next whether there's going to be this kind of blowback to all of this because you do have uh, some folks on the left who believe that any sort of protection or acknowledgement of re- religious conscience rights is is somehow a a a, a dog whistle for discrimination but for for bigotry let's be clear about one thing though uh, in terms of spiking the football this will bankrupt and ruin many a small business. Uh, you know, there are nice law firms out there like the Beckett Fund and <laughs> Institute for Justice and whatnot, but there's not enough of them to uh, probably cover every single case like this across the country that's going to happen. A lot of businesses uh, owned by owners who have sincerely held uh, religious beliefs, be they Christian, Hindu, Muslim, Jew, or whatever, uh, are, are probably going to be put out of business uh, trying to pay the legal fees to deal with things like this. And that that's that's basically the future. OK, let's uh, let's shift uh, quickly here. President Trump um, 
day after Rudy Giuliani kind of Giuliani kind of floats the idea. Well, of course, the president has the right to pardon himself, uh, removes any doubt about where he uh, stands on this. He asserted an, quote unquote, absolute right to pardon himself of any federal crimes, but said he didn't think he had to do so because he hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, Here's here's the tweet. As has been stated by numerous legal scholars, that's his version of what lots of people are saying, (laughs) I have the absolute right to, in all in caps here, pardon myself. But why would I do that when I have done nothing wrong? In the meantime, never-ending witch hunt led by 13 very angry, capitalized, and conflicted, capitalized Democrats and others continues into the midterms. So the president of the United States, sort of out of nowhere— specifically says he believes he has the right to pardon himself. Your reaction? I think that the the president himself is asking exactly the right question, which is, why would I do that if I, if I haven't done anything wrong? You know, and you know, maybe the follow-up question is, why would I talk about this? Or why would I make a point of discussing this if I haven't done anything wrong? So they, I mean, clearly there's two different levels on which this is working. Um, as a PR move, it's really questionable. Um, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't often see a, per, a person, you know, it, it just seems guilty, right? It feels guilty for, for an average person to, 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 to see the president uh, telling Mueller that he can pardon himself and telling everybody that he can pardon himself. You know, it's, it's, it, it's not the kind of thing that you typically see uh, people who haven't, haven't actually done anything wrong doing. Now, at the same time, there is the actual legal argument um, that, that, that does play in and that is, it is, it is you know, unclear. You know, uh, Mueller himself has a guy uh, on his team that he, that he brought aboard basically for 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 no other reason than just to uh, examine these sort of laws and 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 one of the primary uh, the primary issues that that this guy is 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 tackling is does the president have the ability to pardon himself does he have the ability to issue you know preemptive pardons to people around him so you know the the the, the law itself is is not incredibly clear on some of these things clearly there are legal scholars who do support what the president thinks on this but you know are there a lot aside, my my sense is that the consensus is that the president does not have the ability to pardon himself and certainly would not have the ability to pardon himself if there was an impeachment proceeding going. But but I think that, that you know, stepping back on all of this, you, you do get the, the, the question of whether or not the president is really asserting, very Nixon-like, that he is somehow a, above the law. Now, I understand, you know, technically we'll know the law says that, that uh, even if he pardoned himself, he could be impeached. But there is something about this um, that, I, I mean, I, I don't know how people, even Trump, apologists are not disturbed by this notion that the president is asserting the ability to commit felonies. In, in fact, Rudy Giuliani suggested that, what did he say yesterday, that if Trump had shot right. James Comey, yes, that he'd yes. be able to pardon himself, that he could not be indicted about this. I mean, we're we're in a very, very strange area. And I kind of wonder why he is pursuing this particular uh, approach. I mean, obviously, he's become obsessed with the issue of pardons. Otherwise, he wouldn't be floating out this nutty idea of uh, of of, uh, of pardoning a, a sleazeball like uh, Rod Blagojevich, uh, he he wouldn't be doing this. But I mean, the notion of the president of the United States exerting the abs asserting the absolute right to pardon himself, and that's kind of a breathtaking constitutional moment, isn't it? You know, it reminds me of that scene from uh, Hunt for the Red October where Fred Thompson's the head of a uh, he runs a uh, aircraft carrier. And he says to Jack Ryan, the Russians don't take a dump without a plan, son. Uh, I, I think that all of these I, I buy into the argument that all of these pardons are uh, telegraphed moves. 
uh, by the president and his team. Um, you know, you can take that to levels of conspiracy, but um, you know, I, I personally don't think that you know Trump really is uh, was personally concerned with Dinesh D'Souza and Rodrigoevich <laughs> and Martha Stewart. Uh, and then there was the sailor, you know, that he compared on the campaign trail um, uh, to, to Hillary for getting sentenced to prison for taking pictures of cl- sharing classified information, that sort of stuff. All of these things, I, I think, are part of a pattern. And the president is telegraphing uh, to his would-be prosecutors uh, what he what he's prepared to do. And you know, Rudy might say, "Oh, it's not going to happen. It's a hypothetical point. It's 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 unthinkable." President Trump doesn't really think that way. I don't. I mean, there's not really been many times no. in my experience where the president has suggested he might do something and then totally backed off. Of right, it. right. <laughs> yeah. The the other um, the other tweet this morning, the appointment of the special counsel is totally and he uses all caps again. Do you remember when it, when it was the sign of using all caps was like, OK, you're kind of a flaky kind of this is the president of the United States now tweeting in all caps. The appointment of the special pro, uh, special counsel is totally unconstitutional, exclamation point, despite that we play the game because I, unlike the Democrats, have done nothing wrong. Now, this whole um, drumbeat that uh, the appointment of the special counsel is unconstitutional uh, before we roll our eyes at that. Uh, the Federalist Society had a conference call just about a week ago where they had you know, one of their prominent founders, I think one of the original founders of the organization, made the case, this case, that it was unconstitutional, all of which seems to be you know, a, a predicate for firing the special counsel. So all of those things are on the tape. But once again, we're talking about the president's pushback rather than what this investigation is uncovering. And it does seem that there's an escalation in the attacks on the investigation every time we get a report uh, that it's moving closer and closer to the inner circle. Okay, um, the other thing that happened this morning and that I'm sure that we would be talking about if it was not for the president's tweets and this uh, the Supreme Court decision was the strange appearance by Bill Clinton on the Today Show. Did you did you guys watch that at all? Oh, boy, yes. Saw the highlight reel. My, my wife's it, out of town, so I, I had to watch the excerpts. Otherwise, I'd have the, t- I'd have the Today Show on the television that I had control. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I, I t- I, God, it was, it was awful. I mean, it just it, – it was, it was thin-skinned, the playing of the victim card, uh, the, uh, the, you know, all of those things. The, they had that Clinton-esque uh, defensiveness. I, I was amazed – well, give me what, what your take, uh, Andrew, was on Bill Clinton, who clearly knew he was about to be interviewed yeah, yeah, on that's NBC. Ex- he's, he's promoting this novel that he's, wrote, that, that, he's, that he's written, but he knew he was going to get a question about Me Too, right? Right. That's, that's exactly the question that I had is, you know, how, how could Bill Clinton, you know, famously slick, famously, you know, uh, well-spoken, good at, good at turning these sorts of things in the direction that he wants, he wants them to be turned, how could he be so unprepared uh, to answer a question like that in this, I mean, the, the, he, he offered really the worst, uh, the worst explanation he could have offered, basically just saying, well, like, come on, like, obviously, I apologized to, to Monica Lewinsky. But at the same time, you know, I hired a lot of women, you know, back in the 80s, when it wasn't even cool to hire women yet, you know, like, do, don't I get any credit for that. And it was almost, you know, his 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 whole tone was was almost that he was wounded that the, the interviewer would be so, you know, kind of rude and and, 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 and gross as to bring up that sort of thing. Uh, when, when Bill Clinton just wants to, you know, be on here and talk about his book. So it was, I mean, it, it was it was definitely a blunder. There's no way around that I mean we, we haven't seen people tone deaf. yeah we have we haven't seen Democrats like jumping jump champing at the bit to defend him or you know to come to his defense um, yeah it was it was not it was not a good moment for the the former president 
Jim, your your take on this? I feel your pain. Um, sorry. Oh, he, he by the way, it was like a fla- <laughs> it was like a, a flashback. You know, all the reasons why we did not like Bill Clinton. You well, know, you want to talk about a guy who who has a chance to protect his legacy, who is really rewriting it by reminding us of all the things that he did that used to drive us nuts. It's just such an unforced error. I mean, you yes. you, you can you can have an argument and should about um, you know we're having the argument now about Ted Kennedy's legacy now that he's dead. Right. Clinton's still alive. And a couple people like Kirsten Gillibrand and others have kind of gone after him. But the, the, the party writ large has not. He's written a book. I mean, he, he's worth how many millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars? I mean, he's worth a lot of money. I, and I, I get writing a book, but going out, it's like surfing during a hurricane. It's, it's such a stupid idea when, you know, you, you already live in Hawaii and you can go surfing anytime you want. Why, why, why open yourself up to this? Uh, what, what, I don't that, under, what I don't understand about it is is just you know like um, uh, I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I well, I, what I don't understand about it is why he wasn't better prepared, and also the legendary political skills of Bill Clinton were certainly not on display. I mean, the lack of self awareness uh, in this guy uh, was uh, was was really striking. Uh, what, you you do get the sense that he's not able to deal with the bitterness. One thought I had was. Uh, Thirty years from now, we're going to be sitting around watching uh, an age, an elderly, very elderly uh, Donald Trump relitigate all of his issues, because there was something almost slightly Trumpish about this. Right. You know that 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 you know it's all about me, the narcissism in all of that. Well, and he has to be. He has to still be the good guy, right? I mean, it, it, he's not president anymore. It, w- it wouldn't really cost him anything, and it might you know even be, be be good to the people he's wronged in the past if he if he were just to come more clean about it. You know, just to be like, yeah, actually, you know, the culture's changed. I've changed. I, I it was sort of horrible what happened back then, what I did back then, and I realize that now. Like you know, nobody would like Bill Clinton less for for actually coming clean on that sort of thing. But it's 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 this thing where where Donald Trump is is the president, and he is sort of the villain and the bad bad guy and needs to be, uh, de- uh, you know, denounced at every step of the way. And that Bill Clinton is, you know, not not going to relinquish uh, any high ground that he has to do that kind of denouncing just because, you know, he was also a, a lecher back in the day. So question, yeah. for, question for the they, panel here. Never how, apologize, culture. How long does this last? You know, uh, it, it's a gift to Trump um, because it, it enables Trump and Republicans and other folks to kind of seize the media cycle and make this about Clinton when there's so much to make about Trump. Uh, and how long will the Democrats let this last? Uh, now, this, that's an interesting question. Let me let me let me circle around. I, w- I want to read you just from my Twitter feed to give you a sense of this. Because I, I tweeted out, God, this is awful. The thin skin, lack of self-awareness, victim card, Clinton-esque rationalizations all there. And of course, I get the blowback from the left. Disagree. He apologized publicly. He was impeached by the House for lying about it under oath. The interviewer was relentless. Was did you apologize personally? Or it's nobody's business. That's between Clinton and Lewinsky. Grow up. Others are saying pales in comparison to Trump. Is it somebody else? At this age, 20 plus years of scrutiny, $50 million in investigations, battle worn. Give people a break. Just a small one sigh. Um, and then it goes on and on. You know that, you know, some people say that it was cringeworthy. But but a lot of people are saying, why are you even talking about this? You know, given what Trump is doing. But it did occur to me. And, and I, I, it's sort of a larger theme. That the Democrats' lack of introspection about this is still striking to me. I mean, how many books and articles have have been written, have we all written, um, about the crack-up of the conservative movement, the problems of, of the Republican Party? 
And yet I wonder how many Democrats are willing to look at Bill Clinton and say, you know, he's one of the reasons we got Donald Trump. You know, when we broke down the walls of whether or not it was acceptable for a president to lie, when we decided the character didn't matter as much as ideology, do they have any idea how powerful that Clinton-esque whataboutism has been in the rise of Trumpism? And and based on my Twitter feed, which is highly unscientific, I just don't <laughs> get the sense that uh, that they're willing to go there. No, but our and Republicans probably aren't either. I mean, uh, very few people. I think you, you, I count you, of course, among them. Very few people on the right are willing to make the argument that the Clintons enabled Trump to do this. And Josh Barrow, I sure he, he writes at Business Insider. Um, he wrote a really uh, good long piece, kind of examining how the Clintons sort of set the way for Trump. And uh, to say it went over well on my Facebook feed and on Twitter uh, among my friends on the left. Um, there, there's still a refusal to admit that uh, the, Clint, the, Clint, the Clintons did wrong. But uh, I, I, I joked uh, with a friend um, on Twitter that this is probably uh, all leading down a road to Trump offering like a preemptive pardon of Vince Foster uh, <laughs> for, for the murder of Vince Foster right. to the Clintons or something. Because uh, I, I, at some point it all comes together, right? Yeah, well, and every everything comes together. And this just, is the road we're headed down. Just nobody. It, it's never a winning argument to say that there there was this one kind of bad behavior that that people on both sides have engaged on, and it should it should it should be condemned on both sides because because nobody wants to talk about these sorts of evil as things that are you know human more broadly than they are political problems. You know, it's just if 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 if, uh, if lechery and you know abusing women and things like that. Is like, oh, that's a thing that the Democrats do, or that's a thing that the Republicans do, rather than just that's a thing that kind of trashy people do. Um, then, then you, then you, if you admit that it's going on on both sides, then you, then you lose your ability to bludgeon the other people with it, and so it's not a winner uh, in in sort of hyper hyper politicized uh, po- politics debate. Well, this is actually a very powerful narrative on the left that you cannot say it is both sides, it, that, that it is, in fact, asymmetrical and that th- this is something you'll be called out for to suggest that both sides are responsible for this in any way has now become heresy. I was actually on one of the shows on MSNBC last week uh, talking and it feels like last week's news because it was you know, the whole Roseanne versus Samantha B uh, controversy. And. It was interesting. I was almost uh, I think it was an NPR critic who was arguing, of course, that uh, Roseanne needed to be fired, which, of course, she was right. She did need to be fired. It was uh, was, you know, un- unabashed on the ambiguous uh, racism. But then defending Samantha B because of her long record of progressivism and advocacy for women and just articulating the double standard. And you don't have to think that they're equivalent to say that, look, um, if you want the moral high ground, you can't defend calling a woman the C word, which I'm never going to say out loud. Um, in, in, in any particular context and how that double standard undermines their position. But uh, again, the number of people who just say, if, you know, if you don't just focus on evil conservatives, this, this tribal demand that, that you rally around and, and I see the, uh, the editorial on the weekly standard, Joy Reid, uh, Ben Rhodes in the post-truth MSNBC, um, the, the, the fact that you have folks that, Look, the reality is, is that you know, I'm sorry. Let's let's talk about Joy Reid for a moment because here's somebody that I actually know and and I and I worked with. This goes back to the Bill Clinton thing, the power of apology to say, you know, I did this back then. I apologize for it. I'm a different person. 
That is an incredibly powerful thing and generally works, but there's now this assumption that it no longer works and that you have to come up with some sort of a, you have to come up with some, uh, you know, an excuse, I was hacked or, you know, what about ism and anything. I wonder, is it, yes, I, I, this is slightly to change, change the subject, but I wonder if we can blame uh, Al Franken for that because, because he was sort of the one guy who tried to weather all of this by, by apologizing profusely and, and to the point where he was not even going to say whether or not he believed uh, the women that, that, you know, had accused him of, of, of inappropriate conduct to them um, and, and, and just sort of tried to weather the scandal just by, you know, uh, bowing to, 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 to the scandal and just saying, you know, like, I'm sorry, I, I, w- these, these allegations against me are horrible and I recognize that they're horrible and I'm, I, I want to just move forward from here and he, he didn't work, you know, he's out now and I think that that was sort of a tipping point for a lot hmm. of these people who, um, who, who who saw that happen um, and then and then you know especially on the left where they were like well you know we lost our guy because he fell on his sword and you know the Republicans are you know we regret to announce the Republicans are at it again with all this stuff and it, I think that you know for better or for worse that might be one of the places where uh, where where we really saw that the the, the apology uh, even the, even if Franken's was not all that sincere and was still just sort of like a calculated move uh, that that that, that might have been sort of the final nail there right you, you know that, that's a, that's an interesting point w- whether or not people People have just sort of decided that that why apologize because it will never be accepted. Right. So let's just say, for example, that, that one of the three of us that we had written something that was offensive back in 2005 or 2006. All right. Or had done something back then that we are, are not proud of. Um, does anybody think that, that our apology would be accepted by folks on the left if we had done anything like that? So so the argument becomes if it's not going to make any difference, why do it? That's your point, Andrew. Because I mean, I think yeah, yeah, I think pretty much know that they will never be, and and that the left has decided. Look, we get nothing for this. Why even do it? Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. And and the the question is, what are the what what do you think that the people who are accusing you of something want? And if if you're you know if if you think that that people are genuinely disappointed in you and and that they think that you know your behavior was reprehensible and that you've let them down in some way then yes like an apology uh is it, it feels like it can be in order um but but if you just think that the people who are attacking you are just trying to you know gain some power over you you know like claim some higher ground for the purpose of you know just like purely political uh argumentation and 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 power um and and that's the sort of where we are in discourse a lot of the time these days, you know, most people think that the other side is is doing nothing but trying to, you know, uh, claim some sort of argumentative power. Um, then, yeah, then then you don't want to to give that uh, to them by by offering an apology. And obviously, that's terrible. And I think that that's a horrible place that we've come to in our in our national discourse. I just think that explains a lot of why why we have not seen, uh, you know, uh, those sorts of public apologies to the to the degree that we might want to these days. Ah, oh, that is profoundly. Depressing. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry to do it to you on a Monday morning, Charlie. Well, you know, this is this is something that I've been talking about for some time. That I I sometimes think that we miss the point in thinking that politics is just about this issue or that issue. The effect that it's having on the culture is going to be so long lasting. And in the back of my mind, I do go back to Bill Clinton and the way that the, the Clinton era changed the culture. I mean, we're talking about this uh, what twenty years after the fact. We're we're, we're still paying the price for this, which would suggest that 20, 30 years from now, we're also going to be facing the the cultural, moral hangover from what we're going through right now. Are you sure? I mean, we might have President Camacho then. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> President The Rock. Yeah. 
well, you know, it's, it's impossible to joke about. I mean, to, <laughs> you, you can joke about it, but it's impossible to come up with something that's too absurd, right? right. Yep. And, you know, that, that's why in, in that in that debate, that brief debate we had, what about President Oprah? Well, it's like, OK, m- make make the case how President Oprah was was unthinkable while you're sitting in an American which Donald Trump is sitting in the White House. OK, anything else that we need to know about starting this week, gentlemen? Congress is back. Um, you know, they're going to talk about trade wars. Um, you know, it'll be a lot of opportunities to get House members and senators on the record to talk about um, impeachment. You know, um, you saw, I mean, there there aren't as many members of the Republican caucus of the Senate who are around during the Clinton impeachment. But uh, over the weekend, you know, Jeff Sessions, uh, his, old, his old remarks were, were brought out and all of those things are public records. So I expect you're probably going to see a lot of stories on uh, pardons, impeachment, and lying from uh, the kind of uh, old, uh, old, old geezer caucus of the yeah, Senate yeah. GOP. I'm I'm curious to see what um, whether Democrats will hold ranks on on the question of impeachment as we as we approach the the 2018 midterms. Because there's no question that if Democrats do retake the House, we see impeachment. Right? I mean, that's no, nobody thinks that wouldn't happen if 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 Democrats got power back in the House. But but at least so far, um, you know, Democratic leadership has tried to tamp down uh, talk of impeachment in 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 among their members just because they know that that's the thing that you know riles up the Republican base and they don't they don't want them you know angry and buzzing as the election rolls along. So you know, with 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 Trump, you know inching closer to, uh, you know, and get, getting more defiant about uh, his potentially being willing to provoke that kind of constitutional crisis with a, with a pardon or something like that. I'm curious as to whether or not Democrats stick to that messaging because they think it will help them do better at the polls or whether they're going to, you know, rise and respond in kind, which might, which might, you know, end up working out well for Trump. You know, if this, if this does, does become a midterm issue, you know, that could be one of the reasons why the White House has, has decided to take this more combative stance. And you know, in, in this kind of like, Diseased and and, and topsy turvy climate, you know, a lot of these moves that seem crazy on their surface, um, you know, a lot of things have broken for Trump in the past, and a lot of things will probably continue to break for him politically in the future. I uh, so I'm, I'm I'm curious whether you guys get the sense I, I I'm getting the more and more starting to think that the Democrats are fully prepared to blow this midterm election. That that all of the talk of the big blue wave was quite premature, and and you 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 step back and you look at the polls, which are narrowing. The stock market is still up. The the economic numbers are really outstanding. I think, just objectively speaking, you know, um, leaving aside the trade war for a moment, if the North Korea summit does not completely go south, which of course is is a possibility, um, you know, you would you would think that Republicans have a plausible case going into the election. Whereas the Democrats, what the hell is their message um, except to move harder left? Yeah. So I do I, I am starting to wonder whether or not the Democrats with their with their lack of any sort of compelling leadership and, and, and their and their what I think of as their bizarre decision to stick with Nancy Pelosi as the as the figure of the campaign. If Republicans get their way, they run against Nancy Pelosi, which is not an implausible strategy. And, and the map is, at least in the Senate, is in favor of Republicans, despite all of the, you know, uh, political winds blowing around in many directions. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're sitting pretty. Uh, but I, I, to your point, I'm not sure that making your main me- message impeachment when the economy is, is, is doing better than it has been and, um, you know, job, jobs are in the uptick. Uh, I'm not sure that impeachment is probably the best goal. And that's probably why they're avoiding it, because they don't want to see, be seen as shrill or hysterical. But... 
would it be so shrill or hysterical? I mean, if the circumstances warrant. So I suspect that's why they're trying to avoid it. But uh, they don't really have a message. You're right. And that, that should be worrying to them. Okay, and, and obviously we, we spent this entire time n- not talking about some of the biggest stories, which, which in fact, as you mentioned, Jim, the uh, the on-again, off-again, apparently on-again trade war with all of the possible fallout uh, from, from that, which is, again, rather extraordinary. And then, of course, there's the story about the Trump administration uh, hatching plans that would force the operators of the electricity grids to buy certain uh, kinds of power from uh, the coal industry or from the nuclear power industry which quite frankly is exactly the kind of thing that you would expect from Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and, and I mean, really, when you yeah. think about it, it's like, really? So I literally hadn't even heard about that override the marketplace. I mean, doesn't it sound like something out of an Ayn Rand novel? I mean, yeah. Well, just... I mean, Democrats already, Democrats and some Republicans already do it in a lot of Western states with solar and other sorts of yeah. things. Uh, yeah. So ra- rather than just say, you know, I'm old enough to remember when I worked in the Hill that Republicans were for an all of the above, all of the above energy plan and not giving favoritism. Uh, you know, now it's it's sort of, well, they did it. So why can't we? Yeah, it's one of those sorts of things where this is an area where the, the, the Trump administration, President Trump, has sort of a Johnny come lately to you know Republican policy and con- conservative ideology, and it's just sort of like a Frankenstein version of that, where it's you know like well Democrats were mean to coal, and so we are going you know we're going to be the coal kings, and you know. Well, that is the tribalism that there are no principles. It's just our team versus your team. You get in power, you reward your cronies. We get in power, we reward we reward uh, our constituencies and cronies. And maybe this now is the new normal. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me on this Monday morning. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.